0: Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Just uh, before nine o'clock, about 13 minutes to nine here on Kaya FM 95.9. And um, as we reflect on 25 years of democracy and how this has influenced South African sport and how indeed South African sport, or perhaps lack thereof, was used as a powerful tool to help achieve democracy in this country. Let me take you back three decades. Until South Africa's Olympic exclusion in 1964, only white athletes had been allowed to represent the country in international sport. This policy of systematic oppression and separate development, instituted by the nationalist government from 1948 onwards, was met with widespread global condemnation. Who can forget the painful story of a talented colored cricketer named Basil de Oliveira, who was constantly overlooked by South African selectors eventually emigrated to England, and was then on course to be selected for England's tour of South Africa in 1968-1969. But because he wasn't white, he couldn't play against the all-white South African team. The MCC selectors left De Oliveira out of the England squad, and there was public outcry, with many in the anti-apartheid movement in England crying foul. De Oliveira has been left out, they said, because he's colored. And the MCC don't want a showdown with the South African government, they added, who could prevent the former South African from playing. Although the MCC stuck to their guns, saying that uh, De Oliveira had been left out because of poor form and not because of race, the damage had been done. And so it came as no surprise when in 1971 an international sports boycott was instituted against South Africa which meant that the Test Series against Australia in 1969-1970 would be South Africa's last for 22 years. South Africa, an apartheid pariah, had been exiled from the international community of sports. No FIFA World Cup, no Olympic Games, no Test cricket. But on this day 27 years ago, coming two years before the country's first democratic elections and two years after former President Nelson Mandela had been released from prison, at this moment, you would have been turning on your radio to tune in to the live broadcast from across the Atlantic of South Africa's first post-isolation test match. The team that would go on to become the Proteus took on West Indies in Bridgetown, Barbados, after 22 years in the sporting wilderness. Mark Rashmia, Andrew Hudson, Kepler Vessels, Peter Kirsten, the late Hansi Crenier, Adrian Kaper, Dave Richardson, Richard Snell, Merrick Pingel, Alan Donald and Tertius Bosch, the late. That was your 11. Although Vessels and company would go on to lose their tests by 52 runs, a young Andrew Hudson made a lasting impact. Hudson, making his international debut, went on to win the Man of the Match award, sharing it with none other than Sir Kirtley Ambrose as he scored 163. Ambrose's second innings, six for 34, after Hudson's ton it put South Africa in control, is what essentially won the Windies the match. But in scoring that first of four test hundreds, Andrew Charles Hudson, Became the first South African to score 100 on debut, and the first South African to score a Test century in 22 years. He remembers that five days in Bridgetown very well.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a great time. I think, um, especially for you know, I know politically there was a lot happening um, at that time, but um, for for out and out sportsmen who. Um, we were very keen to compete on the world stage. You know, it was a magnificent opportunity. Um, growing up in a in a in a in an environment where the best thing you could do was play provincial sport. Um, you know, to suddenly now representing your country and being able to travel, you know, to to the West Indies and go and um, hone your skills and see how how good or how bad we were relative to the rest of the world. So, um, you know, as a youngster coming in at 26, it was. Um, an amazing experience and um, beginnings of a you know a couple of years of international cricket for me.
0: Were you then surprised when you get onto the international scene? You haven't been there before, and you perform so magnificently in your first test.
1: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> very very surprised. You know, I think um, you always wonder, you know, how how good you are, and um, you know that knock particularly. Um, you know, I think I, I played well, but. Um, I also had one or two chances. I think on, on 30, I was um, dropped on the boundary. Difficult catch. Um, and then at, at 60, I think I got um, the wicket-keeper. Went straight in and out. <laughs> um, so I had two lives, you know, and I mean, you, you sort of forget about those, but, you know, it could have been very different. But I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, or the end of the two days, you know, I looked back and I thought, wow, that's, that's a, a nice start, I think, to your international career. You know, it could have... Uh, started the other way, you know, you could have got naught or, or you know, just a couple. But um, it really, it sort of comforted me to know that I could I could play at this level. And, um, yeah, I think it was good for good for South African cricket.
0: Why do you think it was that you acclimatized so easily? Is it because of all the years that, that maybe the years of sporting isolation were actually a blessing in disguise because you spent then a lot of time uh, playing domestic cricket, understanding your game, so that when you made your international debut... I mean, you were already a little bit older and maybe you understood your game a little bit more than had you been thrust into the international arena at an earlier point in your career.
1: Yeah. Um, So I was 26. So I was was a little bit older than um, probably any other person who debuted, you know, for their country. So I was, I was, I uh, played a bit of it first-class cricket, um, experienced it quite a bit. And also remembering that in those days we had um, wonderful fast bowlers here in South Africa, mm. so the, the, the Alan Donalds and the Brian McMillans and the, you know, the Fani De so the Richard Snell. Uh, Richard Snell, yeah. So, you know, in our domestic game, we were facing, you know, high-quality seam attacks on, on good wickets, you know, on wickets like, you know, the Wanderers and, and even Durban. You know, at Kingsmead where it used to seam around and that. So I'd spent the last couple of years jumping around, you know, having to face quicks and suddenly come up against, you know, a barrage of four quicks in the West Indies. And you know, I, it didn't feel like um unusual or I wasn't that I wasn't suited. I was used to that. You know, I was used to guys running and attacking and trying to get me out. And um and I think that's probably the time when I played my best was when teams tried to get me out you know they had they had fast bowlers and they set attacking fields and they were after you all the time i seem to Enjoy that and I, I probably rose to the occasion as opposed to, you know, some of the defend, defensive attacks they are, you know, where they just sit defensive field and you, you sort of, they bore you up, you know, and eventually you get yourself out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which, which is the question then I was going to ask as we continue this discussion with uh, a legendary, legendary South African opening batsman, Andrew Hudson, who then went on to be the convener of selectors. Oh, was that your most memorable knock?
1: Um, Yes um, And maybe in In contrast to that I think as a start I mean it was an, an amazing knock And um, But I think I was always um, In my career Maybe Criticised a little bit Of being Someone who could play uh, The fast bowl as well And against spin I was a I wasn't as good mm. You know Against um, good spinners And um a little later in my career, I scored a 148 in Calcutta, in uh, at Eden in
0: Ian Carter, Gardens. So. I remember that. Yeah.
1: yeah. So and and there was a big opening stand with Gary Kirsten, and I think for me, and in that team they had they had three spinners. Um,
0: and Anil Kumble.
1: Yes, yes, Joshy, and um, there was another one, but um anyway they it was a long knock um 148 against predominantly spin and i think for me that was m- probably more satisfying in the sense that i was able to sort of put to bed a little bit you know some of the um the rhetoric that was happening in the in the media and around people you know saying well this guy is only sort of half a batsman,
0: you know? (laughs) Yeah, and I I guess you weren't the only one who who got that criticism. I remember that being levelled against uh, Daryl Cullinan as well. Well, Let's look back one more time. Then There was obviously the the wonderful test match performances that you delivered, but as we get closer to the Cricket World Cup coming up in in just a couple of weeks time, um, your memory of of, of the Cricket World Cup, for most South Africans, it'll obviously be 1999, but perhaps you can share with us your your favourite memory of, of a Cricket World Cup.
1: Yeah, um, it was probably '92. I think it was just before we went to the West Indies, um, where there was an opportunity to play against a, a, a whole lot of teams. You know, um, and very quickly. Um, so within the space of six weeks or so, you you could play against every team in the world. Um, so in a way, world, that was the nice thing about World Cups because in your in your career, you know, depending on fixtures etc., you might only play. Sri Lanka or you might only play Australia you know in in two years time you know because there's no tour before you know until then so what happens with the World Cup is you play everybody so it's a wonderful measure and gauge you know to see how you're playing and to experience the variety that there is in in world cricket so the home straight the home straight Kaya FM 95.9
0: A big thank you to Andrew Hudson for talking to us on the home straight and just ending that conversation by saying that the 1992 World Cup uh, remains his uh, best memory of a World Cup. Rewinding Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.